And the title of the message is Triumphing Over Psychological Warfare. I am super optimistic, but I have to say I am a bit heavy-hearted. And the reason is, is because I know that there are a lot of people who are suffering. I got to tell you, I hate suffering. I hate human suffering. I hate human suffering on every level, but I particularly hate human suffering uh, when a human is suffering mentally or when a human is suffering emotionally. Um, that, to me, uh, is the worst. And I say this because, unfortunately, our generation is the most depressed generation in American history. Anxiety is up, depression is up, and it is seen actually by the medication that people are taking, which is, is understandable if they're suffering. But we in our country are ingesting uh, medication, uh, antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications like three times over the, what the world actually consumes. And according to USA Today, actually suicide has increased 25%. It's now a national crisis. You have one presidential candidate, his motto is fighting for the soul of America. He wants to tap in to kind of the deep dislocation and sense of lack of well-being that is, that is clearly at, at play in this particular generation. Well, I mean, there's a reason why I've entitled this psychological warfare, because psychological warfare is more than just what is taking place between like our country and Iran, uh, which I read in this, this last week, we're sending aircraft carrier to the Middle East, and Iran is saying, you know, it's psychological warfare. Uh, psychological warfare is the non-lethal strategy to manipulate mental and emotional well-being by using intimidation, false information, distraction, fear, or threat. And the aim is to make people emotionally and mentally unhealthy. So therefore, it's to make their soul unhealthy. Their body could be fantastic. They could be a world-class athlete. But psychological warfare is aimed to disrupt the emotional well-being, the mental well-being. And listen, you can see psychological warfare I mean, it's just ingrained in our culture. Um, you can see it in politics. You can see it in advertising. You see it in social media. I mean, you know, we've mentioned in times past, we used to raise teenagers, you know, but parents these days are raising screen-agers. And I'm talking about like, you know, I mean, the kids are like totally addicted to their phones. And, and what sociologists and, and, and what medical personnel are telling us is that that's actually rewiring the human brain. And it's just causing kids to be radically distracted, or it's causing them to be in other people's moments and their highlights, which is leading to depression in their life. The context of this passage identifies another kind of psychological warfare. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Oh, oh, okay, wait, wait a second, wait. We do, actually. I mean, there's wars physically, there's real blood, there's real devastation, but behind it are ideas. Behind it are ideas. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of this age, spiritual hosts of wickedness, and that idea of wickedness uh, speaks of the devaluing of our fellow men, devaluing of life itself. But this passage identifies that, that Satan's speciality 
I mean, his, his MO is actually psychological warfare. Now listen, I, at this point, I, I realize that when you drop the big S word, Satan, I mean, it's going to be met with, with two extremes, both of which are mistakes. One is to dismiss the reality that behind the scenes, there are unseen personalities that are influencing the world. And so it's just a total dismissal, and I get it. And one of the reasons why people actually dismiss that idea is because the other extreme is to exaggerate the influence. So you have people who are exaggerating the influence of satanic influence, and as a result, people are like, back off, and they're like, completely dismiss it. I mean, speaking of exaggeration, it's like, you know, the, the young wife that came home, and she had bought this beautiful dress, and she put it on for her husband, it's just amazing. And, and the husband said, so beautiful. And she said, well, there's just one problem, honey. I, this costs $1,800. He goes, $1,800. Oh, my goodness. $1,800. We cannot afford $1,800. She goes, I know, I know. I just, the devil was just like really on my back and stuff and saying, go, girl, and you look great and everything. And he said, why didn't you tell the devil to get behind me, Satan? She said, I did. And he, and he said, it looks great from the behind, too. You know, it's like, okay, um, I don't know if I should use that joke these days. But anyways, <laughs> the thing is, is that like, now that's just radical exaggeration, right? But on a more serious note, the passage is speaking to followers of Jesus, telling us that the Lord has given us a tool, listen, to overcome the assault. Who likes to suffer mentally? Who likes to suffer emotionally? Who likes to be out of balance? I mean, I don't. I mean, I, I know something of suffering in this way. The Lord has given us a tool on how to respond to it. And listen, this is very important. When Christ comes into your life, this is what ends up happening. The Bible says once we were dead in trespasses and sins, not physically dead, but it's like we didn't have a spiritual intended to have right relationship with God. And when we were born again, when Christ comes into our life, we're made alive to have a right relationship with the Lord. We're rightly coordinated with Him. We're a king's kid. We have His favor. We have His love. The Bible says we're chosen. It's like, you know, we've been rescued. We're being rescued. Or we, we, we've been made His child, and we're in process of growing more like Jesus. And one day, we're going to be in His presence forever and ever glorified. Okay? And that is just a flat-out fact. So there's an aspect to every believer in this room where it's like, it's like almost like you're, it's like you're a perfect child of Almighty God. You're his kid. He sees you through the lens of his own son. All right? So now you are body, all right? And you are soul, obviously, which speaks of your intellectual, mental, emotional life. But you've been made alive spiritually. Are you with me on that? Hey, can I hear an amen, right? So watch this. Here's the thing. Your soul, however, is your heart and mind and will and emotions and appetites, your thought processes, your character, your personality, and your memories. And the reality is they can be misaligned with your spirit. And when they are misaligned with your spirit, it's miserable. It's miserable. I mean, you know, I've only flown first class once. And I highly recommend it. <laughs> okay. And, but, you know, I just got these extra points. And I was, so I'm coming back from India, and I, we land in London, and now I'm first class to Sacramento. I was so looking forward to it and stuff. And I'm thinking, man, I'm going to sleep. I'm going to relax. Reality is, when I was in India, we had a bomb threat against our plane. 
and we had come from this crusade. We think there's some crazy things kind of taking place behind the scenes, not to overstate the spiritual aspect, but that's a long story. Anyways, so I was just, I don't know if my brain woke up. It was just coming off that. I was so glad to get to London and to get on this plane. First class, I did not sleep a wink. It was like one of the worst flights for me. And, I, and, and it was because while positionally, I had a great seat. I mean, it was awesome. The condition of my soul, I was, look, there was relief. But I just, I don't know what it was. I think I was like totally awakened, having gone through kind of this bummer experience. So the point is simply this, again, that you can be positionally a child of God and it's right, but your soul is not aligned. It's like you have great position as a child of God, but... Your soul is not caught up with that position and you're unable to rest. And that's why 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, Now may the God of peace, listen to this, himself sanctify you, set you apart completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus. So it's like, in other words, I'll paraphrase it, hey, You know, may you have shalom, wholeness, balance uh, uh, with your body and soul and spirit. The call of this passage is to stand. It's to stand in the victory that Jesus has won legally, to stand in it, and to therefore experience it. The question is, how do we do that? And that's what he's addressing here. He's addressing actually the only offensive weapon that is addressed in the spiritual armor that is identifying the various divine strengths that the Lord has given to us. Because listen, we're actually not the only one that experienced psychological warfare. And that's, you know, I've already defined what I mean by that. The Lord Jesus actually did. He was successful over it. And I actually want us to look at that. And so if you have your Bibles, don't stress if you don't, because I'm going to read the passage. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 4, because I want you to see how Jesus was actually assaulted, okay? How he how there was enticement from the unseen realm, and how he responded to it. And then we're going to come back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Okay, this is the context. This is right after Jesus is publicly baptized, um, John the Baptist, the greatest prophet ever born of a woman, has identified him as the Lamb of God, the Son of God. He's begun his public ministry. So this is like right after this. And it tells us in verse 1 that Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If, and really could be translated, since you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Look up here for a second. Watch this. What's going on? 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus hasn't eaten anything. He's thinner than he's ever been. You have the enemy who's drawing attention to a need. He has a physical need. He's suggesting an alternative way to meet that need. And, and I'm going to use a little liberty here, but uh, my, my best sense of interpretation, this is what he's saying. Hey, okay, real li- liberty. Hey, what's a, what's a good Jewish boy like you? And I'm talking the son, the ultimate son of David, the son 
who was just publicly acknowledged by the Heavenly Father, publicly. What are you doing out here? So weak. Oh, led by the Spirit? It looks like you're abandoned to me. Are you sure you can trust the innate goodness of the Heavenly Father in your life? My suggestion is I would take things in your own hands. That's, I believe, what the assault is. Okay, now, check this out. Jump down to verse 5. We're not even going to address initially his response. I'll come back to it. It says in verse 5, The devil took him up in the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Salt number two. Um, hey, there's a need in Jerusalem. Talking about the Davidic king. Second Samuel chapter 7. That through the line of David, there would be a king establish his kingdom forever. Watch this. A king who will make the world right. Who will make the world just. And Israel is waiting for it. And the world is in desperate need of it. So my suggestion, Jesus speaking as the enemy, which I don't really want to do. But the idea is you're on the pinnacle of the temple on the east, southeastern corner. You, it drops 400 feet down to the Kidron Valley. Right below is the southern steps entering to the Temple Mount. you got tens of thousands of people coming up. Stand up. There's almost like standing on the Empire State Building. And, and, you know, and, and it looks like, oh my goodness, what is that person doing? Why don't you go up there? Stand there and then jump off. Hey, forget the process that the Heavenly Father has you on. This is... Well, this is a way to capture your generation's attention. I mean, forget process, forget the will of the Father. I'm suggesting that you cut a corner and take the issue into your own hands. That's the second assault. Jump down to verse 18. Again, the devil took him up an exceedingly high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world, and he said, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. What is the temptation? Oh, there's a, there's a need throughout the world. There's obviously a deep dislocation, something that's fundamentally wrong. It's like, what's the temptation here? Um, is really doing it the Father's way? The way? Is it enough? Is it sufficient? Look, here's the suggestion Satan is saying, worship me. Forget that. Abandon. Abandon the plan of the Father. Just bow down to me. Now, look, look, how does, and we can put these notes up on the screen, how does Jesus actually respond to psychological warfare? The answer is, look up there on the screen, I love this. It is written, it is written, it is written. Can I hear an amen to that? It's like, what are you talking about is written? He responds with the truth of God's word. In, in verse 4, he, he answers, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In verse 7, he says, It is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. In verse 10, he says, It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Look, go back with me, please, real quick. Go back to Ephesians chapter 5. And, and if it's all too much, don't worry about it. Look, this is introducing us to the subject at hand, which is the Word of God. Because Jesus answered psychological warfare, I'm going to say, with the Word. And in context of Ephesians 5, Paul is identifying divine strength that the Lord wants us to experience. He has divine strength for us. It's illustrated 
by a Roman soldier's armor. And we know that the Roman soldier had two swords. One is a really big sword that would be yielding, a wielded, excuse me, left and right, kind of called the broadsword. But this particular sword is a makara. It's six to eight inches. It's the sword used in hand-to-hand combat. I mean, it could be said like, Jesus is in the wilderness. He's all by himself. He's not really, but he's all by, he's out there, humanly speaking, by himself. And he does this, watch, he does this hand-to-hand combat with these psychological assaults. And when it tells us to take up the helmet or take up the sword, the idea is that we need to pick it up when it is needed. And what is the sword? I mean, what's the sword that like helps us take ground and cut through lies? As Jesus said, the truth will set you free. Well, the answer is, it's the Word of God. But here's the thing, and we have it up on the screen. I want you to see these distinctions here about like what is the Word of God. Well, number one, okay, there, there are, are three words for the Word of God. The Word of God are the writings. They're the writings. In Greek, it's grapho. It is written, grapho. Like if you have a Bible in your lap, in your hands, the the Word of God is the written Word. The other definition for the Word of God is logos, which is actually the meaning of the grapho, or it's the message of the book. Or as as John wrote, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the word, therefore, word is logos in the Greek. And he goes on to say, and the word, referring to Jesus, became flesh. So that Jesus is like the exact representation of God in human form. He, therefore, is the living word. But logos speaks of what the meaning of the word is, what the, what the, what the passage is actually saying. So you have the written word. Okay, but what is the meaning of the written word? And Jesus is the ultimate living word, right? He is the living word. But then there's one more. The word of God is the rhema, which is giving utterance or voice, speaking the word. And here's what I I want you to understand. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 7, the sword is not graphi or logos, but rhema. Okay, it is the rhema that comes from the logos, that comes from the graphe. It's actually the declaration of the logos that you get from the graphe. So let me just put it this way. <laughs> Are you following me on this? You, you could actually, you could actually be a owner of a Bible factory. You could be producing a hundred Bibles, a hundred thousand Bibles a day, but you don't have a sword. You're not using the sword to experience the victory that is already yours. It's like, you know, I've mentioned this a thousand times, but just about ready to finish this class at the Bible college on David. And um, I know it sounds so stupid, but I hadn't really thought about what it is to audit a class, you know. And there were a few students that audit, which is fine, which is basically the idea that they can cut, they actually pay to come and they listen to class and they enjoy it, but there's, they don't do any homework and they don't, you know, get a grade, which is fine with me. I, I, I just had never really thought about that and uh, about auditing what that even meant, right? So I experienced it recently. And here's the thing. The thing is, is that as believers, we've got to be really careful. We're not like, we're not like, uh, uh, you know, we audit the, 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 our experience at church or we audit 
you know, going to, going to church and we audit when we actually are exposed to the graphe and even the logos. In, in other words, it's like, okay, I'm just in it for the information, but I'm not really in it to win it because there is a distinction there. Is that how did Jesus actually handle psychological warfare of the devil, warfare that was up and close personal to his life? Here's the thing. Listen, he verbalized the word. It was, it was a rhema. He communicated it. He didn't just cite like, hey man, devil, you are hassling me. And it's so, so I'm just thinking in my mind, a reference to Deuteronomy 8 or a reference to Deuteronomy 6. No, he actually spoke it. He took the sword out. And the Bible tells us when he did, the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Listen, if the living word, Jesus, think about this, if the living word, Jesus, answered with the written word to deal with the enemy of the word, how much more do we need to? And there's three, at least three realities when we're talking about the sword. One is, we have it up on the screen, I think. One is, it is the offensive weapon given to us by the Holy Spirit to be applied to our lives. So church family, I just, I just, oh, may the Lord just bring this so powerfully to all of our hearts. Because if you're wondering, man, like why is the devil like not leaving me alone? And, and just bear with it. I don't think the devil is behind every moving bush or every terrible thought or, or every crazy motorcyclist on the five freeway. I, so I just had to get that in. I had to just get that off my chest. Although I do think the devil's behind. <laughs> okay, but the thing is, is like we live in a broken world. First John chapter five says, "We live in a world that the culture of it is that we are getting messages contrary to what is true." And so, please hear this. If you're thinking, "Man, I just I don't seem to be getting much." victory or experiencing in my life, there's a strong likelihood you're not answering, it is written. Because look, calling a friend is a blessing. You know, looking up a meme on the, the internet that has some word of encouragement is fantastic. You know, getting something from a psychologist, okay, can be helpful, but there's nothing like the word of God. Number two, it is the word of God to be spoken. Again, the written word is graphe. Logos is the meaning. Like, we need to then take the sword out and we need to apply it. Think of, think of Peter. When the Lord was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, God bless him, Pete pulls a sword. I mean, like in some ways, I don't blame him. And you have this squad of soldiers, 600 coming to arrest Jesus, and he's, he wants to defend the Messiah. And he swings and he cuts off, you know, the, the servant's ear, and Jesus later on healed that person's ear, put the ear back on his head. Okay, so he's like drawing a sword and stuff, and the Lord admonished him, put away your sword, goodness gracious. I mean, that's not what this is all about. And some 53 days later, Pete's in Jerusalem, the epicenter of 
Jewish identity, and now he's using a different sword. He's using the word of God. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved among you by miracle signs and wonders of the cross and resurrection. And it's like, and then you have like 3,000 of his fellow Israelites who are cut to the heart because the sword, truth, distinguishes between the spirit of an individual, or in other words, it will identify whether that person is even alive to God or right with God, and between their soul. And you have 3,000 who are like, oh, man, Pete, man, you've just used a sword. Yeah, the sword of truth that actually brings healing. Remember, faith comes by, can someone tell me? Hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. A lot of times, we, we quote that scripture to apply to our lives as believers. Hey, this morning, you know, we're going to study the word and faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, which is true. But in origin, that is in the proclamation. It's in the proclamation, the declaration, speaking the word of God, that enables people to know the truth and respond to it. And number three, it is to be used on the enemy and any of his reps. Enemy of his reps. So what does that mean? Oh my goodness, we live in a culture that needs Jesus. Can I hear an amen to that? But it's, it's just that the point is, is that we need to respond with the truth to the breakdown that we see in our culture because the truth sets people free. Look, here's application number one, you guys. And I want to encourage, hey, church family, let's not just audit this morning. Can I hear an amen to that? Can I hear an amen to that? Okay. All right, let's don't audit it. I I really want you to apply, church family, every one of us apply application number one. Yes, which is give opportunity for the Holy Spirit to apply the word of God to your life. How? To speak, rhema, you need to understand logos based on grapho. Okay? Rhema, Logos, Grapho. Let's all say that. Rhema, Logos, Grapho. Rhema, I'm just kidding. Rhema. Okay, I love that right there. It's like, what does that really mean? Um, well, I think of how David hid the word of God in his heart that he might not sin against the Lord. But in application, here's, here's what it means. Let's go through this. Number one, um, let's just put it up on the screen. Oh, oh, okay. Number one, hey, you've got to read the word. We've got to read it. You know, we just had this... Fantastic study Wednesday night on the importance of devotions. Number two, simple stuff, meditate. That means mentally chew. Every morning, I want to encourage the church family, read the Word, then meditate on it, all right? Mentally chew, think upon, give opportunity to absorb it. Number three, what do we got? Memorize it. I want to encourage the church family, memorize a verse this week. Yeah, just commit to memory at least one verse, so that you're all the more prepared to, for hand-to-hand combat um, in defeating what is not true, so that your soul, your emotional, mental life aligns more with your spirit, which is right, with God. And number four, hey, and you guys are doing, and I'm so proud of you, but study the word within community of the church family. That is actually totally and completely biblical. Number two, oh man, in a battle, you can do one of two things. In a battle, you can stand there, right? I mean, 
you know, imagine like if you were in a, which is kind of violent, I know, but if you're like in a sword fight, which just takes you another, another world, but some, somebody's like approaching you and you're in this battle and you got this great sword, you could pull your sword, you can do one of two things. You can pull it, you can stand there and admire it. You could, you, as, this, as your enemy's approaching, your opponent's approaching, you could be saying, hey, look, why don't you check out my sword? I mean, it's made from the finest steel in Italy. Look at the crate. This is awesome. Look how it's shape of it. Okay, as your opponent is taking ground on you, you could stand there and admire it, or you can use it. And we need to use it. One of my favorite lyricists, John Foreman, penned, he said, I was hoping for silver spoons when you handed me a sword. Love that idea. Who doesn't want to just live an insulated life without trouble? That's not life. And it's like the Lord is not handing us a silver spoon. So t- because the idea of being insulated from trouble or difficulty or challenge is just not reality. He has handed us a sword, a sword of life. And I want to encourage you. Listen, moms and dads, okay, siblings, everybody in this room, look, take the sword out and speak rhema. Speak it. Speak the truth of the word in your family. Listen, don't just be someone who stands amidst your family with the sword or with the truth, but Actually, take it out and declare it. Let me share something with you. Not long ago, there was these incredible challenges that some family members were experiencing, very close. I'll just try to generalize it here. That was really, really intense. And, um, and I was thinking of John chapter 10, how our Lord is our good shepherd. He's given his life for us. And a shepherd, of course, is not only one that goes before us, but one is aware of the dynamics of our life. A shepherd protects us. And so, aligned with the truth of God's Word in John chapter 10 and other passages, I, in prayer, I had this vision. When I say vision, I just had this very strong idea. It was so blessed. It was, hey, it, it, was, it was really based on graphe and logos. And that is, man, the Lord... The Lord is standing in our midst, and He is our shepherd, and He is not only, he's not only present, but he is, he is protecting, and he is, he is prospering, and He is fighting for us. And that is the truth. Can I hear an amen to that? So amidst our family, it was like, okay, well, I just want to say something as we had this family thing. And I just want to say, look, here's the vision based on the Word of God, because it's true. And this is Rhema is that the Lord is big, He is in our midst, he, His staff is out, and He is not only protecting us, but He is prospering us. And what the enemy is intended for evil, He's going to turn around it for the good. Now, look, it wasn't just I wasn't just walking around with that idea. It, I, I spoke it. I communicated it. And listen, moms and dads and husbands and wives, and, and listen, speak the Word of God. Communicate it in your family. And number two, Man, we just don't want to sit there amidst the battle with the sword. We want to use the sword in hand-to-hand combat in our own life. In our own life. I've been thinking of 1 
Corinthians 6.20, that I've been bought with a price. I'm not my, my own. I'm to glorify the Lord in, in everything, in my attitude, in my actions, in my thoughts. And it's, I've just been thinking, of, okay, listen, Greg, you, you've even bought him. You're a king's kid. And you're not only been bought off the slave block, but you made a child of God. You're a son of the king. And so it's like everything you do, glorify God. All right? Number three, don't just stand there amidst your friends who don't know the Lord. Use the sword. Use it. I was, um, in other words, like make the gospel known. You know, I, w- I was at a Starbucks yesterday kind of studying, and uh, I got up, I got up to, to use the restroom, and, and I, anyways, this is too much information right now. Okay, so, but there was a, there was a gentleman that came, and um, he was dressed in a, he looked fantastic. He had a suit on, and we were kind of standing there waiting. And I said, oh, you look fantastic today. And, uh, you know, I had like this Dodger hat on, the shorts, and I looked like some schlep. And um, so anyways, there he was. And I said, you look fantastic. He said, you know, we have this saying. And he, I noticed he had an accent. Said, you know, we have this saying in, in German that something to the effect like when you dress well, you feel good or something like that. And I was trying to understand what he was saying. And I said, well, are you, are you, are you going to a wedding? Are you? No, we've had, we've had the services at, at the synagogue. Oh, so Shabbat? Yes. Oh, okay. Fantastic. So I said, hey, listen, um, check this out. I mean, we just put this up. I showed him this thing on my phone. Okay. So, you know, hey, listen, Dennis Prager, man. Okay. I can't find it. It's just, it took a half an hour. It's terrible. Anyways, the thing is, is that um, he, he, anyways, we had this conversation and I, and he said, well, why, why? he said, he asked me like, why do you know all of this? Or, you know, why, whatever the question was. And I said, well, listen, the reality is, is that in reading the New Testament, it's all Jewish. So it's like in order to interpret and stuff, I understand it in Jewish framework. And I, and I said, look, I, I actually believe, I believe in the promises God gave Abraham that through, you know, the chosen people, the whole world's blessed. I believe in the Davidic covenant. I'm not even so sure he un- understood those things, but maybe he did. But that, you know, there's a king and there's a Messiah. And I believe in the new covenant, okay, that's in the Messiah and stuff. Okay, like when in line and there's a restroom and it's active and stuff. And he, but he said this to me. He said, you know, if Jesus were here today, he said, I would go to his synagogue, he said. And I thought, what did you say? Hold on a second. Oh, whoa. Okay, but it's just like, here's the thing. The, the, the point is, is that, man, when we have opportunity among, you know, friends to proclaim the truth. We can't just stand there with the sword. We need to use it. Can I hear an amen to that? And of course, a sword, you know, is a graphic picture and stuff. It it speaks of the offensive weapon. But this particular sword is a sword of healing. This sword brings freedom and release. Listen, the Bible tells us this, and I'm going to be done in just a few moments, but the Bible tells us that there is incredible hope that one day Jesus will return in a darkest hour, the darkest hour in human history. And he returns. It is a love rescue. Look, here's the thing. Every single one of us in this room Whatever we may believe, whatever disposition, we all know there's a future. The question is, what does the future hold? The good news is the Lord holds the future. 
And the Bible says that unfortunately, things really heat up. It's like, you know, crazy psychological warfare. And Jesus returns at the darkest time in human history. And the reason I'm setting this up is because I want to read a passage. I just want you to listen to this. I want you to read a passage from Revelation chapter 19 about his return. And I want you to pay special attention to what comes forth from his mouth. That brings healing and justice and righteousness. That's a beautiful thing. And wholeness to the earth. So check this out. All right, there's some big metaphors here. Now I saw heaven open. Behold, a white horse. He who sat on it was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he brings, he judges or he makes, brings wholeness and justice, makes war of righteousness. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's like, now that's a mouthful, but what, he, what that's saying is that when the Lord returns, it's like what he brings is wholeness, righteousness. He is successful over the psychological warfare that has been dementing and demoralizing and desensitizing and destroying mankind. That's a beautiful, hopeful picture. That is great. That, that's hope. Hey, listen, let me tell you, let me tell you the most important thing to come out of your mouth from your heart. Please hear this, and I'm going to be done just saying. The most important thing, the Bible says this, if someone confesses that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised them from the dead, they will be saved. Man, listen, there comes a time in every one of our lives where we're faced with the decision, what are we going to do with Jesus? I mean, really, like, here's the reality. Jesus was either a terrible lunatic and liar, which is like makes no sense, or he is the Lord. And what a beautiful king he is. What are you talking about? Oh, well, that what he's going after is the chief core problem of man, which is a broken relationship with the God who made us. The Bible says his arm is not too short that he cannot save, his ears not too heavy that he cannot hear, but our sins have separated us from God. So therefore, there is a dislocation vertically with the one who made us, that then throws off everything on the horizontal level. Listen, we can throw politics at this problem. I mean, grateful for our country. We can throw psychology at it, which just is going to deal with the soul, but not the spirit. We can throw, like, you know, getting into shape and stuff at it, but the core problem is spiritual. It's a broken relationship with God. 
And the proof is in the pudding, because you show me someone who receives Christ and follows him, and I'll show you someone who is actually getting better rather than bitter, has relationship with the Father that was intended for them to experience. They have hope beyond the grave. They just know that they know. They have a confidence and a security. Because the Bible says this, when you're born of God, you overcome the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Faith? Yeah, like the truth, like what we were talking about. Listen, I, I, I was like, you know, like 16 years of age when it was very clear the Lord was knocking on the door of my heart and, and he was making himself known to me. And he says, if you hear my voice and open the door, he says, I will come in. And when the Lord comes in, he not only brings forgiveness and brings right relationship and hope beyond the grave. Listen, he brings himself. He brings himself. And let me just say it again. The most important the most important thing that will ever come out of your mouth, rhema, which is like the word of God, is to confess that Jesus is Lord. It's like, man, I believe you are who you claim to be. Let, let me just say this. Look, um, you say, what, what do I do with a message like this? Recognize what the Lord has done for you. He loves you. He made you. He created you. You're precious to him. Um, the reality is, is that you know, the Bible says we've been bought with a price, with his blood. One of the ways you identify the value of something is by how much uh, it costs and how much one is willing to pay for it. And the fact that the Lord not only made us, but demonstrated his love for us, he shed his blood for you, died in your place, tells you he loves you, loves you, loves you, loves you, loves you, loves you, and totally loves you. Okay, just totally loves you. He hung blood, he gave his life on the cross. Could be said with one hand, he reached up, took the hand of the Father. With the other, he reaches out to every single human being. He resurrected. He's alive. It's a demonstration. He's creating all things new in himself. The best days are ahead. Then i got to do something with that. Jesus said, unless you repent, you'll perish, change the way you think, embrace Christ, make a U-turn in life, and take your first step in following Jesus as Lord and Savior. Man, you can do that this morning, and I pray that you Let's pray. Father, thank you for you. And, and Lord, I want to pray two things. One, for all of us, the church family rise. Just thank you, Lord, for this beautiful morning, all the mothers. But we just pray this week, Lord, I pray we would grow in, in, in hand-to-hand combat, you know, drawing the sword, speaking your word. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, help us with this application, everyone in this room. And I want to pray now, Lord, for those that are here that have heard this message and they're at a place of decision, may in these next few moments, they open their heart to you and receive you as Lord and Savior. And I just want to ask, please, while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, how many of you would say, you know, Greg, this morning, I, I want to leave here with the assurance that I am a child of God, that my sins are forgiven, that if I were to die, I'd go to heaven. I want that settled. Um, you know, I don't know everything, but I've heard enough to take a first step. And the Lord will honor that. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You're willing to take that first step to go, look, I believe it. I believe it's true. And I want to step into that. Really, he's just a prayer away. He's just a prayer away. The Bible says, if you call upon the Lord, you'll be saved. What does that mean? 
He's just a prayer away. And I would love to lead you in a word of prayer. How, how many of you, and I want to just ask, please, while our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, a private moment, please. How many of you would say, you know, Greg, I, I, I like this morning, just in the quietness of my own heart, to just pray, to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I want that settled. If that's you, just raise up your hand. And, and let me pray for you. And pray with you. If you would like to receive Christ, you're not too young, you're not too old, you, you want that settled, slip up your hand and let me, let me lead you in a word of prayer. It's just going to be right where you're seated. I'm just going to lead you in a prayer that you can pray in your own heart and receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. So if that's you, you just raise up your hand. I want to make sure an invitation's given. I want to make sure that this opportunity has been made. So this final moments, I just want to make sure if you'd like to receive Christ, you raise up your hand and I will lead you in a word of prayer. So Lord, I want to thank you for you. I want to thank you that your word never returns void. It certainly hasn't this morning and we bless you for it. We love you and it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone who agreed said, amen. Let's all stand you guys at this time.